Kevin, for shepherding our hearts in prayer. It's good to see you all this morning. Anthony, it's good to see you and your team with us. I didn't think we'd get the chance. But um, anyways, I hope the last few weeks you've been blessed um, by the words that were brought to us by Dr. Grisanti and also from our brother Ricardo and the Morales family as they walked through the infinite greatness and goodness of our God, um, the infinite power that he displays, but also the incredible and infinite holiness and humility and dependence and dependability that is demonstrated by our God and that is really given to us and gives us cause even in the hardest of circumstances to just rejoice in the Lord regardless of what's going on in this crazy, crazy world. And this morning we come back to the person, the place, and the work where the Lord shines His holiness and His infinite goodness and His grace to us most vividly and most brightly. And that, of course, is in the life and the work and the word of His eternal Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the light of the world. And this morning we come back to the Sermon on the Mount, to the God-breathed words of Matthew 5, 17 through 22, where Jesus, as the King of Heaven, proclaims to His disciples the righteousness that He personally requires of each and every disciple and citizen of His kingdom, without exception. And He tells the disciples this is a righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of the most religious of people, the scribes and the Pharisees. And he shows his disciples that this righteousness that he's talking about is nothing less than the righteousness of a heavenly heart, a heart that belongs entirely to the King of heaven, a heart that belongs entirely to God. And this is the righteousness that Jesus has come to die for. And this is the righteousness that Jesus has come to give to every child of God. And this is why Jesus requires of all men this same standard of righteousness. And he begins, if you'll recall, in Matthew 5.21 to give six examples of this righteousness that he requires of all his disciples. He walks us through. They're almost a little bit like mini parables. And he begins his very first example to show his disciples and us how his heavenly righteousness addresses our anger, our angry hearts, our angry thoughts, our angry emotions, our angry words. And it's a timely word that Jesus gives for us because we live in a world and we live in a nation and we live in churches and we live in families that if we're honest are filled with angry hearts and angry words. And that is in no small part because in our world, anger is normal, murder is normal, mass shootings are normal. These are normal things. And within that context, we tend to minimize the small signs and the small whispers of what's going on in our hearts. They don't seem like a big deal in comparison to, but Jesus shows that they're all connected. 
from our thoughts to our words to mass shootings in churches and schools. They're all linked together. And we have to ask ourselves, brothers and sisters, how bad does it have to get before we turn to Christ and we turn to him as the only true remedy for angry hearts? And we, of all people, have reason to rejoice, not in the sorrows and the difficulties of this world, but in the reality that Christ has come and he has given us himself the remedy. And that remedy is a new life and a new heart in him. Heavenly hearts with heavenly minds that are expressed in heavenly ways. And this is where we last left things as we started in Matthew chapter 5 on our part 1 of Heavenly Hearts. And this morning I want to go, as we go to part 2, to begin with Jesus' words, but then to go through the rest of the New Testament and into the lives of two men who really struggled with both anger and anxiety, the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul. And to see through Jesus' ministry to them and the power of his spirit and his word transforming their lives, to see how their hearts and lives were transformed and then how in turn they shepherded churches that were under intense suffering and persecution and how they come to this same place where Jesus begins. Christ's remedy for angry and anxious hearts. If you turn with me in your Bibles, we will go to Matthew chapter 5 verse 17, and we'll read this morning through verse 22. And our focus this morning is a little more the application of where we started with the truths of our first in this series. Matthew 5, 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. This is the word of the Lord, and the Lord indeed is going to bless this proclamation of his word. Well, it's with these words, Jesus, as the king of heaven, he gives a very, very clear example of his heavenly righteousness and his heavenly justice. And here Jesus draws a direct connection in this passage with the word of the Lord that he has come to fulfill in our hearts. He draws a direct connection between the word of the Lord that he's come to fulfill and heaven's judgment on what we think about, our attitudes towards one another, our words, our interactions. 
And he points out, and it's hard because he lays it down straight. There's no exception here. For all who choose to persist in contemptuous anger towards a brother or sister. He shows us very clearly how God views it and how God is going to judge it. It does not have to get to a shooting or an act of violence. Violence, brothers and sisters, and hate, as Jesus shows us, it begins in the attitudes and thoughts of our hearts. And actually, as we'll see, it goes to the desires and beliefs of our hearts. And what Jesus points out, which is hard to hear, is the Lord will one day hold each one of us accountable. And it is an accountability that if we do not repent and we persist in this heart attitude of anger towards a brother and sister, it leads to one place and one place alone. It leads to the fires of hell. Now, as we think about ourselves this past week, and we think about our words, and we think about our thoughts, we think about interacting with coworkers, family members, the people who cut us off in car lanes as we were trying to get to weddings, and we think, how many of us this week have been annoyed with someone else? How many of us have been irritated? How many of us have been frustrated? all different terms that we use to whitewash, if you will, and minimize our angry hearts and thoughts towards others. And as we think about that, and we think about it in light of what Christ has just said to us, how many of us are deserving of hell? Okay? And I know that sounds harsh, brothers and sisters, but herein lies the beginning of Christ's grace and his mercy in our lives. Because through the presence of his spirit and his word, he begins to show us and enable us to see our hearts and our anger not in the way psychologists see it, not in the way our schools see it, not in the way our government or our world or our entertainment or our sports sees our thoughts and our anger, which is, it's okay, right, until someone shows an Instagram with a gun. And then we all applaud, right, when the commissioner comes in and someone has to go to counseling. It's okay a, B, C, D, and E, as long as nobody outside of the home hears. Christ's mercy and grace to us, brothers and sisters, is to show us and enable us to see our hearts and our anxiety and our anger the way the Lord sees it. Because until we begin to see our hearts and our anxiety and our anger the way the Lord sees it, we will never begin to see that our only hope and remedy is not a week of counseling. It is not a rehab program. It is not fix this, fix this, and a few apologies here and there. Our only hope and remedy is to come to Christ himself and to look to him to give us the heavenly heart that he came to die to give us. 
And this brings us, brothers and sisters, to our first point this morning. Heavenly hearts see our anger the way God does. Heavenly hearts see our anger as God does. Brothers and sisters, if we consider how does the Lord see us and how does he see our hearts, from Genesis to Revelation, the testimony of God's word is that anger is a manifestation of discontent, displeasure, and hostility towards something or someone we believe is not right. Now, as we think about that, yes, anger and anxiety can very much come from a place of hurt. There can be a real wrong or a crime or something that is not right that happens to us or someone we love. But the question is, where does it go from there? And the anger that Jesus is addressing here in this passage is an anger that has gone on for some time to the point where it's starting to affect how we look at others around us, where it begins to define the relationship. And we see that the sister of anger is is very much anxiety, where anxiety is a manifestation of fear about something or someone we believe is not right. Something is not right. It is going to cause harm or damage to either us or something or someone we love. And so we begin to become worried. We think about it all the time when we look and we start to become burdened about how we can fix this or how we can stop it. And then it starts to get become expressed in our speech or our words or how we interact with one another. And very much anger and anxiety can go hand in hand. And one classic example in families is some sort of emergency comes up in the home and you speak to a family member and you ask for their help or you say something and you say it once and nobody listens and you say it twice and nobody listens and you say it the third time and nobody listens. And so what happens in that moment of anxiety that things are getting worse and people aren't listening to me? Do we get quieter? For most of us, the volume starts to go up, right? For most of us, the irritation goes up. Why aren't they listening to me? For most of us, the frustration starts to mount. And left unchecked, brothers and sisters, things can really escalate. And according to God's word, and as Jesus points out, he says, out of the overflow of the heart, what? The mouth speaks, that the things that start to come out of our mouths, the words, they are merely giving an expression to what's really the war that's really going on in our hearts, what's there. And we know that anger can go one of two ways. We can bottle it up and not say anything, okay, nobody's listening to me, and the steam's coming out of my ears. Or you go the other way where it starts to explode and it starts to come out like fire and smoke. And what God's word shows us is all of these expressions, whether it's our tone, our eyes, our face, how we look, how we communicate, our body language, all of those different things, they're really a reflection of the desires of our heart and the beliefs of our heart. What do we believe is right? What do we want? And it's worth, brothers and sisters, as we look back over the past week, when we see these blips coming up over and over again, 
Christ, when he comes alongside us and he shows us the severity with which God sees this and he shows us where it starts, it's just a help and it's a kindness to begin to say, what are the desires of my heart? What are the beliefs of my heart? What are the things that are brewing there that have been going on for some time? That after a while, it takes not a whole lot to have that start to spill over. And in Scripture, as we go to God's Word, the Lord shows us there's really just two types of anger and two types of fear. There's godly anger and fear, and there's ungodly anger and fear. And godly anger and fear is the fruit of godly hearts. Godly hearts whose desires and beliefs belong entirely to God, to His kingdom, His righteousness, where the burden and concern is primarily about God, His glory, what is good in God's eyes, what brings Him glory, what is right before the Lord, God's rights and concerns, not mine. And the consequence of that, as you see and you walk through, and how do we know? Well, the proof is godly anger and godly fear always brings us to the Lord. It always brings us to the Lord. It's always accompanied by godly ways, and it always yields godly fruit. Godly fear and anger, brothers and sisters, is always redemptive. It's always redemptive. It redeems. And as we think about our anger in that way and our anxiety, that's really the test. And we look back in our lives and say, okay, how many times this past week when I was angry or anxious, was it accompanied by the fruit of the Spirit? How many times when I was angry or anxious this week, did it lead me to be on my knees in prayer to the Lord, asking Him for a remedy? How many times when I was angry or anxious this week, was it ultimately redemptive for me and for everyone I interacted with? Where at the end of that, we were far closer to the Lord than where we began. And I think you begin to see, brothers and sisters, as we pointed out before, and as you go through the scriptures of all the references to anger, where most of it, when it comes to us, refers to sinful anger, we begin to see that because we are fallen and we have fallen human hearts, most of our anger is actually ungodly, and most of our fear is actually ungodly as well. Our desires and beliefs and concerns are about our rights, what glorifies us, what makes our lives easier or more comfortable. Are we being taken care of? Have we been hurt in a particular way? And we just think about that within the context of two of the big, big events in our time. We think of the protests for George Floyd. We think of the Capitol Hill riots, the left and the right. And we think, okay, what's the basic reason that people are getting upset? I have a right to be upset. Things are not right in government. Things are not right with the police. Things are not right here, okay. But where does that go? And we say at the outcome of those protests and at the outcome of those activities, whether it be words or signs and people walking around with crosses at those different events, is it ultimately redemptive? Does it bring more people to Christ? Is the fruit of the Spirit demonstrated? And the people who participate, are they closer to the Lord afterwards than where they began? And I say this to us because it's helpful, brothers and sisters, to look in our own hearts James says in 1.20 of James, he says, For the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. 
And then the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, he says, don't let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. And the Apostle points out, maybe you have a reason to rightly be upset. Maybe something genuinely wrong has happened to you or a family member or a loved one. But be very, very careful. Because if you let that go on and you don't address it God's way, which is ultimately coming to Christ rather than to take it into your own hands, the devil is going to have a foothold in your life and he's going to use it to drive it as a wedge between you and your relationship with the Lord so that your focus is entirely consumed with what you're upset about rather than Christ. And when he's done that, he's, begin, he's begun to win the battle. And he drives a wedge between you and all that is good and all that is true. Brothers and sisters, this is what Jesus begins to address in verse 21 through 22, when he says, whoever is angry with his brother, he's referring to that simmering discontent that left unchecked and given any opportunity comes and becomes contemptuous words and destructive words and left unchecked and given the opportunity would go in the direction of murder if we were given half a chance. And later in the scriptures, our Lord and Savior through the apostles begins to show us this is really the product of prideful and idolatrous hearts. And it may seem harsh where he says, if it gets to the point where it's continuing and contemptuous and demeaning words are coming out of your mouth, you're going to be brought to hell. It's like, but when we begin to see it that way, we begin to see how does the Lord... Look at these things. What does he value? What does he cherish? Why is this such a big offense? David Paulison, in his little children's book called Jack's Tale Twitches, and I advise you all adults to get this and read this. I know we get it for our children's, but those lessons that are given are very much lessons that we need to hear. He says, our anger is not just about us. It's about God. When we get angry, are we not saying to God, my will be done, my kingdom come? Ask yourself, are you putting yourself in God's place, acting as the Lord and judge of those who irritate you and annoy you? Brothers and sisters, as we look at these things, we see it's a mercy and kindness from Christ to point out in the areas that we repeatedly become upset or angry, even if it's simply dealing with traffic on the way home. Pastor Mark, guilty as charged, okay? I'm there. But as we look at those things, as Christ comes and shows us the standard of his righteousness and the consequences and the seriousness of this, it's a help to us, brothers and sisters, to say, okay, what's going on in Pastor's Mark's heart during those repeated traffic interactions that is a desire and belief that is or has become idolatrous and has really replaced God. And where I look at myself as the king of the universe in defiance of our Lord and Savior, because that, brothers and sisters, is the very root of all murder. 
And by that standard, brothers and sisters, we see it's not just people who do mass shootings who have the heart of murderers. It's all of us, and this is what has put Christ on the cross. Brothers and sisters, who is Jesus? Well, Matthew 1.21 says that Christ is the one who came to save his people from their sins. And how does he do that? He does it by shining the light of his righteousness on our hearts, on our ungodly anger, our frustration, our irritation. And as we continue, we see that the apostles do this same thing with the church. They come and use similar language as Jesus. 1 Corinthians 6.19, the apostle Paul says, revilers, people who revile and heap scorn on others. He puts that alongside those who are sexually immoral, adulterers, those who practice homosexuality, those who are greedy. He says, people who practice this and who walk in this path, he says, will not inherit the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And then again in Galatians 5, 20 through 21, idolaters, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, those who do such things will not what? Inherit the kingdom of God. So it's not just one time, it's boom, 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 over and over again. Now it's okay, we think in our mind, those people who indulge in adulterous relationships, okay, they can go to hell. Those who practice homosexuality, they can go to hell. But how about people who struggle with strife and enmity and jealousy and fits of anger? How about us? Well, the good news of God's word is when we stop minimizing and making excuses and we start through the light of God's word and his righteousness, calling our hearts and our anger and our anxiety for what it is. We begin to see clearly the hope that God has brought into our lives. And that hope is the heavenly heart of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that brings us to our second point this morning. Heavenly hearts repent and follow Jesus as Lord and King. Heavenly hearts, repent and follow Jesus as Lord and King. Brothers and sisters, when it comes to our hearts, our anger and our anxiety, according to God's word, there's only one question that really matters. What must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? Left unchecked, Jesus is pointing out that this in our hearts is going to bring God's holy wrath upon us. It's going to destroy us. It's going to destroy us. It's going to destroy our relationships. It's going to destroy our families. It's going to destroy everything. But most importantly, it destroys our relationship with our Heavenly Father. And it's worth noting as we go through that, what walks hand in hand. It's not by accident that idolatry and anger walk hand in hand. It's not by accident that immorality and sensuality walk hand in hand. They are all together as a chain. We come and we say, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus in Matthew 4, 17 says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Verse 19, come now, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And this is a command and a promise, as J.C. Ryle points out, that Jesus repeats over and over and over again. That there is really only one path to salvation. 
there's only one route to Christ. It's leaving behind our kingdoms, our nets, the things that we hang on to, our desires and our beliefs and what we believe is right. Letting go of those things and instead coming under the authority and lordship of God's eternal son, Jesus Christ. Following him, being with him. Being with him in a way that's expressed by simple obedience. And we see throughout the Gospels, hard hearts, like the rich young ruler, have no problem coming to church. Hard hearts have no problem coming to Jesus asking for help. Hard hearts have no problem coming to Jesus and asking for a miracle. Hey, produce more bread. Make my life easier. What separates, brothers and sisters, hard hearts from heavenly hearts as we see the disciples and children of God, it's not that these heavenly hearts, when they start, are perfect or are without sin. It's that those to whom God has given a heavenly heart, they are willing to let go of their rights, their kingdom, their nets, and go with Jesus wherever he will take them and do whatever he asks, one step at a time. And as they do so, and as you walk through the Gospels, you begin to see, as the disciples do, that Jesus possesses the power and authority not only to forgive all our sins, but to give us an entirely new heart and a new life in Him. If you have your Bibles, turn with me, if you would, to 1 John 1.7. 1 John 1.7. The Apostle John here says, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from what? Some of our sin? All sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess, homologeo, come into agreement. This is not what you say in a priest's confessional booth. Confession, homologeo, to agree with the Lord about our sin, to come and agree, and agreeing with the Lord about our sin is there's only one remedy. It's the cross. It's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from what? Some unrighteousness? All unrighteousness. Brothers and sisters, this is the good news. This is the beauty of what Christ has come to give us. And so very simply, as we talk personally about the remedy for our anger and our anxiety, have we come to Christ? Have we confessed our sins? Have we come into agreement with how He views our anger and anxiety when it is ungodly? Have we come to Him as the only hope and remedy that nothing is going to be fixed until we come to him for his forgiveness and we walk with him by faith and say, okay, Jesus, whatever you want, however you want me to deal with this, this is your deal, that's not mine. And then, brothers and sisters, have we gone to those with whom they have felt the sting of our anger or our anxiety? And yes, you just talk to a family member. When you're stressed, they're typically stressed, okay? When you're having a hard day, they're typically having a hard day. 
Do we go to them after we've been to the Lord? And do we ask them for forgiveness? Not that their forgiveness releases us necessarily from our sin, but we do it out of faithfulness and out of love for the Lord, because this is what the Lord calls us to do. And brothers and sisters, here begins Christ's remedy of a heavenly heart. The beauty of this is a heavenly heart is a heart that's been forgiven. It's a heart that agrees with God. It's a heart that has received the mercy and grace of the Lord. Not necessarily a perfect heart in and of yourself, but through Christ's righteousness. And as we walk through the Gospels, we begin to see that heavenly hearts that have been forgiven, well, the proof of that is they are heavenly hearts that forgive, are they not? Those who have been forgiven much, right? Love much. And as a result, we begin to see that maybe the things that made us angry before are not the same things that create anger in our hearts afterwards. That taking offense and retaining hurts becomes less and less. And we are able to forgive. Why? Because our lives have been filled with the mercy and grace of Christ's love and His forgiveness. And as we go through the epistles, we see two men in particular who demonstrate this. The Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul. Think of Peter. Both of them had anger and anxiety issues. And that should give us encouragement and hope. It didn't stop Christ from loving them. Think of the Apostle Peter. What does he do when Jesus talks about the cross? He rebukes the Savior. Strong language, right? Pulls him aside. Physically holds him. Pulls him aside. Rebukes. And then later, you know, the Apostle Peter in the, in the garden, what does he do when people come to get Jesus? He's the one who takes his sword and cuts the high priest's servant's ear off. I would say yes. Anxious, probably. Angry, yes. Ungodly, yes. Right? And Jesus says, put your sword away. And then in the courtyard of the high priest. When the annoying servant girl comes, not just once, but multiple times, right? First time, okay. Second time, aren't you a Galilean? Aren't you with Jesus? Third time, aren't you? And he, at least we're told he curses, right? It says he curses and he swears that he, has, he knows nothing about Jesus. And then we see the way in which Jesus shepherds and cares for him. How does he do it? He shows up after his resurrection. He comes, he cooks breakfast for him right? Fish and hot cakes. And then he says to him, Peter, do you love me more than these? And we see as Jesus shepherds, he gets to the heart of our anger. What do we love? And what do we love more than Jesus? Brothers and sisters, you can love many good things. It's not wrong to love a good meal. It's not wrong to love your family members. It's not wrong to love your children. But at the point those loves become more important than your love for Christ, we are in dangerous territory. And that's where Christ comes in and he exploits. Right? Julie in my family, she's witnessed my ungodly anger. Praise God for our spouses who are able to say at different times, okay, this is happening once, this is happening twice. You, you know, your face doesn't look good. And by God's grace, through his word and through prayer, coming and saying, okay, this is, Lord, you need to shepherd my heart. And to begin to see in my life as a physician and as an immigrant, my idolatry was preventing people in my life from suffering. 
right? It's a good thing. You want to be a physician. You want to heal. You want to see people stop suffering. But at the point that I was esteeming protecting others from suffering more than being obedient to Christ, well, I had an idol. And it was an idol that was destroying my relationship with the Lord and my relationship with my family members and having to come and say to the Lord, Lord, look, this is murderous, this is wrong, this is an offense to you, forgive me. And then coming to my family members and saying, please forgive me. And I want to say, brothers and sisters, let's keep short accounts, first with the Lord, but then also with our family members. We're not perfect. We're not Jesus. We can't fix everything. But we can demonstrate to our children and our spouses that there is a Savior who forgives. And there is a Savior who shows us how to seek for forgiveness and provides that and brings healing and mercy and grace where before there was only pride and the defense of my personal rights and wrongs. Brothers and sisters, that's a testimony of the gospel. And it brings us to our third point for this morning. Our third point is heavenly hearts consider our king and our calling. Heavenly hearts consider our king and our calling. Okay? Who is in charge of our life? What is our calling? And we see so beautifully, this is where Peter goes as he shepherds a church who are suffering. They are suffering wrong. They are being persecuted for loving Christ. And their persecution is going to get worse. It is not right. How does he shepherd them? This man who is brought through, who Christ has redeemed. Well, Christ, after he said, Peter, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? Do you love me? Do you recall what he then commands Peter to do? Feed my sheep. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. Three times. And he commands Peter to leave behind his love for these things and to express his love for God by loving God's people. To be busy, Peter, not with your own desires and beliefs and idols, but start taking care of those who are precious to me. Brothers and sisters, we'd have a lot less anger if we remembered our king and our calling to love Christ by loving one another than being consumed with what's wrong with the government, what's wrong with the school system, what's wrong with the church, what's wrong with all of these things. It's the belief that God is sovereign and he's in control. He has a plan, it's perfect. We will witness injustice in this life. The end is later, it is not now, it is near. But Christ is the one who's going to make things right, not the Democrats or the Republicans or Pastor Mark. I'm not going to make it right, but Christ is going to make it right one day, but there is a plan that needs to unfold. His will be done, not my will be done. I can trust him to handle his business. My calling is to love and feed his sheep with his word and to love them in his way. And so we see, if you have your Bibles, have a look at 1 Peter 2. 1 Peter 2, how does Peter shepherd and how does he obey this? How does he begin feeding the sheep as they are dealing with unjust suffering? He says to them in 1 Peter 2, 1, So put away all malice, not some, all malice, 
and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Just like his master, his king. No room for discontent. No room for resentment. No room for contemptuous thoughts towards others in God's kingdom. Even, you know, Nero's coming, right? But then look what he says. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation as you come to who? Him. A living stone rejected by men, but chosen and precious with God. Grow up and come to Christ. This is the remedy, brothers and sisters, for our ungodly anger and anxiety. It's growing and maturing. It's putting off and saying, okay, there's no room for this. By Christ's power and his word, if I belong to him, I'm part of his kingdom. Sin no longer has reign or control over me. I can give in to it, but that's my choice. But we realize we need to grow, and we need to grow, and there's only one way. It's feeding on the word of Christ and coming to him for who he is, not as a friend, not someone to make my life more comfortable, not to smooth out and make everything good as I see it, but as the living stone rejected by men, chosen and precious with God. Brothers and sisters, one, do we confess and do we come to him and ask for his forgiveness? Do we listen and allow Christ to speak into our lives and show us what we really are? Do we come to him in, in humility and do we come as a child and say, okay, Lord, you call the shots, I'm coming to you. I need you to help me, and I need you to fix me. And it starts with me, our calling as children of God. Now, for those of you who have little ones, have you ever noticed when they come to you about the things that they're upset about? Not infrequently, they're no big deal to us. But we love them, and we're kind. Someone stepped on my Lego. Years later, someone stepped in my Lego. Here's the date, here's the minute, here's the moment. I look back, I was similar. It was no different. Their sins are my sins, right? I was angry with some Sunday school teacher who never gave me a prize for 20 years, right? Okay, there you go. And we just see when our kids come to us with those things, it doesn't bother us. In our better moments, we hug them. We walk them through the gospel. Why? Because we've matured. And those things are not that important to us anymore. My Lego, you can walk over all of it right now. No big deal. And we see our Heavenly Father with us is so good and He's so gracious. And we come to Him with things. And He delights in that. He wants us to come in prayer. To bring our concerns and burdens to Him. To one who looks at us and says, look, no problem. This is not a big deal. It feels like a big deal to you. But you know what? In time, if you stick with me, you're going to see this is no big deal at all. And we see his desire for his children is that they will grow and mature and have hearts like his, heavenly hearts, where the things that were once a really big deal to us, because we're more like Christ, are no big deal 
whatsoever. Brothers and sisters, let's remember our king and remember our calling. And this is where the Apostle Paul also goes. In Titus 3.3, he says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Paul's describing his past life, which you know well. Now, if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Ephesians 4, verse 22. Ephesians 4, verse 22. He says, To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and it's corrupt, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirits of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Then in verse 29, if you drop down, he says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Brothers and sisters, have we specifically made a commitment in our lives to say, He is my King, I'm a child of God. That old life and those old desires and beliefs there may be a memory, there may be a footprint, there may even be a foothold in my life. But because Christ is my king, because he is in my life, because I'm walking with him, he has the power, he has the authority to enable me to put off all of those things and instead to walk in newness of life. When we don't do that, brothers and sisters, and it starts with small steps. It doesn't start by riding, you know, a 10-speed bike. It doesn't start by driving fast. It starts step by step by step as a little child. But as we do so, brothers and sisters, and we do so by faith, it doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean it's not hard. It doesn't mean that it is not painful. It does not mean we will not suffer. But by faith, we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. How? Through obedience. Obedience does not accomplish our salvation, but it shows us the path with which we walk with the Holy Spirit, that we walk with Christ. Nobody who is disobedient to God. You show me anybody who's disobedient to the Word of God, I will show you someone who's not walking in the Spirit. Plain and simple. But as we walk along that path, brothers and sisters, we enjoy the fellowship and light and the power and authority of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When we don't, and we're a child of God, when we don't, when we choose to continue to be angry, there's a provocation. Something comes up. Okay. Our initial reaction is it's not right. This is upsetting. But where do we go? 
Do we stop and go to God's word and read it? I'm too busy. Got things to do. There's stuff happening. Do we stop and say, your king, this is more important? Do we read God's word? Do we get on our knees and pray? The fact that we don't during those times frequently is because we don't think it's bad enough. Well, how bad does it have to get? If we choose to continue to handle it ourselves, we are grieving the Holy Spirit who has put everything at our disposal to enable us to live by His mercy and His grace. As we think about these things and we consider the Apostle Peter, he writes to this church that is struggling and that is suffering. If you have your Bibles, this is the last one I'll take you to and I'll try and close up with this. 1 Peter 2, 19. He says, For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Brothers and sisters, in our lives, how much... And how many of the things that create anxiety and anger in our hearts are connected to suffering unjustly or not, or what is not right? Whether it's us, whether it's a family member, whether it's people we know, we love, we care about, where something is happening that is not right, and someone we know or love is suffering for it. It's hard, it is real. And Peter addresses it head on because Christ has brought him through. And he says, remember your Lord and Savior. Remember the big picture. Set your hope in the grace that is to come. But remember Christ. Remember what it is that has saved you. It was Christ who was willing to say, I'm not going to get angry about this. I'm not going to get upset about this. I'm not going to be anxious. I will be distressed and troubled because of God's judgment on sin. But I am going to turn the other cheek. And I'm going to entrust myself to God. And through entrusting myself to God and suffering now for what is unjust, others who are unjust and sinful will be made right and they will be saved. Their wounds will be healed. What a great hope. Brothers and sisters, what's the only hope for our wounds being healed? It is at the foot of the cross. You name the sorrow. I will point you to a Savior who in His time and His way, He will heal those wounds. Will we trust Him? 
But will we follow him? And will we rejoice in the goodness and grace that only he can give? And this, brothers and sisters, brings us to our final point this morning. Heavenly hearts rejoice in the Lord. Heavenly hearts rejoice in the Lord. The Apostle Paul says in Philippians 3.1, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it's safe for you. And then in 4.4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And the Apostle Peter also says in 1 Peter 1.8, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, now you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Brothers and sisters, joy does not come easily. But it does come as we walk with Christ. And when we cut ourselves short of the cross, those places where with Christ we see him suffering unjustly for us and in turn see our calling that he may call us to a place in our homes, our marriages, our places of work, our nation, where for his name and for what is right, we may well be called upon to suffer unjustly. When we dodge that, as Peter tried to do, he understood, Peter knew. Apart from the cross, there is no true joy because it is at the cross, brothers and sisters, that our sins are forgiven, that we in turn learn to forgive, and that mercy and grace that is greater than our sin is poured into our lives and not only our lives, but in the lives of those around us. Brothers and sisters, there is a remedy. It is demonstrated on a regular basis. Christ has given it to you, and his desire is that we would grow in it. I have not seen a heart that is joyful in the Lord that at the same time holds in contempt and speaks demeaning and ugly words to others. By God's grace, we no longer need to live that life because we are children of the Most High God. Do you know Him? What does the Lord say about your anger? What does the Lord say about your hurt? What does the Lord say about your anxiety? If you do not know Him, Today is the day. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, what gift of grace you have given us. We of all people have reason to rejoice. Would you help us this day, rather than to look to ourselves to try and fix what is wrong and broken in our lives or the world around us, instead would we entrust ourselves to the one who though he was and though you were reviled, you did not revile in return, but instead you entrusted yourself to your heavenly Father so that we who were unrighteous and ungodly might become the righteousness of God. In your name we pray, amen.